it's a new Sunday and it's a new series this week, and I really enjoyed doing uh, Heroes of the Faith. That was a great series, um, and, and I was praying about what are we going to preach on uh, now, Lord? So this was obviously weeks ago as I was thinking through this and praying through this, and for some reason, just on my heart lately has been the, the book of Colossians. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I love the words in this book that Paul writes to this church, and I just felt like there's something significant in this particular letter to this church that's for us here today as well. Paul describes the Christians in this particular church in Colossae, that was the city that we're in, as holy people. Holy people. I thought, well, what is it that makes them holy? What is the message of holiness in this book? And I would hope if Paul was to write a letter to us today here, a letter to Hills Church, I don't know what they would call it, a letter to Hills Church probably, and um, I wondered, would he say the same thing about us? Now you've got to keep in mind, Paul himself was writing this letter from prison. Okay? The thing about Paul that amazes me is that when he writes these letters from prison, he wastes very little time lamenting his own situation. And he focuses very much on the gospel and on the church. There's almost no begging for help, very little time spent complaining about the injustice that he's receiving or the conditions he would have to be in. You've got to think about what would prison have been like back 2,000 years ago I think it would have been very harsh, but he doesn't mention that. And it amazes me that Paul spends nearly all the words in his letters to the church encouraging them. He never makes it about him, even though, let's be honest, he has good reason to. Just imagine if for some reason, for our faith, we were locked away. And we were writing letters to the churches what would we say? I can imagine what I would say. It'd be like, church, get me out of here. <laughs> get the best lawyer you can. Send me some stuff to make it easier. I don't know. Sometimes Paul focuses on correcting false teaching or dealing with disunity that he might be hearing about. You know, he uses some tough love at times. Just have a read of 1 Corinthians if you want to see that. But his heart, first and foremost, is for believers to go deeper in their faith and to be united together in that faith. It seems he was focused on his calling right to the end. You know, he's, he's another hero of the faith, isn't he? The Apostle Paul. He ran the good race right the way to the end. His calling was to spread the gospel and to build the church up, even to the point that it would cost him his freedom and eventually it would cost him his life. So there's four chapters in Colossians. It's a nice short book. I encourage you to read it this week, particularly chapter one, which we're going to focus on today. But in that four chapters, there's only two very brief mentions of his situation. The very, or the second last sentence in this whole letter, it simply says this. It simply says, remember my chains. And that's it. Remember my chains. You know, if anyone understands persecution for following Jesus, it's Paul. And yet in this letter and in his others, there's no ranting against government. There's no angry call to fight for more religious freedom. There's no lamenting the state of the nation. Even though 
the readers of the letter, they were also facing the similar, those similar things. You know, they, they, were, they were facing pressure against them. There was oppression. If you were a believer in that country, in that time, and it's very similar in, the, in that same region even today, instead of complaining, we find in letter after letter, in chapter after chapter, in verse after church, <laughs> verse after verse, Paul, urging followers, urging his followers, or the followers of Jesus, to go all in for him. That was what he was about, first and foremost. He passionately calls followers to live for Jesus, to have a life of holiness, to go deeper in their faith, to not compromise, to push forward, to be about the business of the gospel first and foremost. That was what he was urging us to do and urging them to do. And it's the same for us today. Paul faced this, uh, what you could only say is a dark culture that was oppressive to believers. If we want to fight darkness around us, and subtle, but yes, increasing pressure that followers of Jesus may be starting to feel in our culture. I think Paul's saying the best way to fight is to go deeper in your faith, to love Jesus more. Because I know that even in this church, people have said to me things have happened to them at work and at uni and things like that where they felt the pressure. More and more. You know, you, if you don't wear a certain thing on a certain day, or a certain colour, to support a certain cause, then you're kind of outed as some other non-believer. I've heard the stories, and I know that that pressure is there. You know, this week I was reading in um, an online news article, Tim Costello was saying to the Christians in this country... Um, that we aren't feeling the pressure, we aren't persecuted. In a sense, he's right because he's looking at the big picture of what's going on around the world. But I'm also aware from just from my discussions with you guys that it's there and that you're noticing it. But I think that Paul's got a message for us here. I'm not saying you can't fight for your religious freedoms or stand firm on the word of God, by the way. Okay, so you're not hearing that from me today. Okay? But there's a message for us here about how we live in a world that's more and more pushing God to the side. There's a message here. Today's message is about being holy and fruitful people. I think that's the best way we, re we can respond. The key verse is verse 10 in chapter 1. The way you live will always honour and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. I think that's the way we respond, is we be people that are producing every kind of good fruit. All right, let's read the first 14 verses of Colossians. We're going to dig out all the gold nuggets in this that Paul gives us on how to be holy people who are producing every kind of good fruit. So we're going to start at verse one, chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. This letter is from Paul. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae. We are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. 
May God our Father give you grace and peace. So I'm just going to stop there before we keep moving on because my first point is actually found in that opening paragraph. Number one is this, holy and fruitful people are faithful people. You know, we just did a whole series on people who are known through history as being faithful. Faithful people stick with Jesus through thick and thin. We don't let the worries of the world defeat us. They don't overcome us. And this is where the persecuted church and the other countries, they, they really do show us the way. Remember when Nathan Harding was here a few weeks ago representing Open Doors? There was a video he showed of, that, of a lady who went from being a Muslim into being a follower of Jesus. Do you remember that for those of you who were here? And because of that, she faced death from her own brother who stood in front of her and said, because you converted I must now kill you. And her response to him, I mean, it blew me away. She said, you do what you have to do, but I will still love you. Doesn't that, does that amaze anyone else here? That level of faith? Faithful people. And she had a great testimony of when he went to strike her, he couldn't do it. And instead she ended up giving him a hug instead. Staying with Jesus and living like that in the face of pressure or persecution or resisting or resisting the temptations that the world's going to throw us, that the devil throws at us. Resisting those and continuing to say yes to Jesus despite all those things is faithfulness and faithful people are holy people. Faithful people are holy people. Verse 3. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. You will notice how much Paul Paul talks about prayer, by the way. Just keep an eye on that. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. So here's the second thing. Holy and fruitful people love Jesus and they love people. Yeah, I know, you've heard that one 10,000 times, especially if you've grown up in the church. Love God, love people. Is he going to preach that point again? I am. Because it's all the way through the Bible. We must have to be reminded of it a lot, I would say. We have to dwell on it. We have to think about it. We have to evaluate ourselves, how we're going with this. It's the number one command you remember Jesus saying. Love God and love people with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. The number one visible fruit for holy and fruitful people is the outward love they show towards God and others. It's in their words. It's in our actions. It's even in our thoughts. And honestly, it doesn't matter how much you know the Bible, how amazing your spiritual gifts are. You can even have the gift of healing. It doesn't matter how much you tithe, how big the group of people you follow, who follow you are, how far you travel to be a missionary, how amazing your musical ability, how successful your business, how good your preaching is, how great your intellect. If you are a Christian and your love for others is not evident, then according to Paul, in another letter he wrote in 1 Corinthians in chapter 13, dare I even say this, and I do because it's in the Bible, if you don't have that kind of love, you're a noisy gong. Or, Paul even says, if I don't have that love, 
I am nothing. I know, that's hard to hear, isn't it? And I just want to be a pastor that has this shepherd heart. I don't want to say those kinds of things. But Paul says in the scripture, and I have to repeat it, if you don't have that love, it doesn't matter how good we are at stuff. We're just a noisy gong and nothing. And here to the Colossians, Paul is saying that the evidence of holy and fruitful people is their love and trust in Jesus and their love for people. He says it there. Loving God's people. They love people. If you don't have that kind of love, God is calling you today to get it. If you don't have love for people, like 1 Corinthians 13, he mentioned things like kindness and patience and no record of wrongs and no envy and no pride, etc., etc. You've heard it read out at wedding after wedding, okay? It's great for couples. It's for everyone. It's for the church. That kind of love. If you don't love like that, can I just say this morning, it actually takes an act of repentance. You've got to change 180 degrees. That's what repentance is. It says, I'm not going to be like that anymore. I'm going this way where Jesus is leading me into love, love, love that we just sang about. He's calling you to get it. Don't let your pride get in the way. Put that pride to the sword. Repent. Go after the new heart of flesh that God is longing for us to have. Now, church, I'm not talking to the person that you're thinking of right now. I'm only talking to you and to me. You got it, Julie. (laughs) I'm not talking to the person you're thinking of right now. I'm talking to you and to me. If we want to be holy and faithful people in our secular post-Christian culture, love for all people is our calling, lest we be that gong. And church, Christians, we've been guilty of that. Christians have been guilty of being the noisy gong and the clanging cymbal because the message we bring doesn't come with love. I hope you hear my heart on that. Even those who have rejected God, we love them. Those who are different politically to us, I know that one's hard sometimes, we love them. Even those who have a different sexual ethic to the one that we're called to live by, we love them. Even the noisy ones who don't like us in return, I know it's hard, but Christ said in black and white that his people love everyone, even your enemies, and you pray for those who persecute you. And it's hard but we are called to go deeper. That song was perfect, Kerry. We are called to go deeper. Holy and faithful people aren't angry people. I know sometimes there's a righteous anger at what people can do, especially when we see injustice. I understand that. And I know there was times when Jesus, he kind of reflect that righteous anger at times. But um, honestly, the reasons that we get for, ang- for being angry don't really count. Holy and fruitful people do not get nasty and mean to others. We don't hate people. We don't vilify people, even in the online comment sections, where you can put any name you want, even in those sections. Even, dare I say this, when someone rings you from another country... 
with bad motives, right? I mean, by all means, don't, don't get sucked into what they're trying to get you into, and by all means, feel free to hang up their phone, but we don't say anything. They are people still. We don't say anything that Jesus would not say. Back down that phone line. You're all looking at me like, no way. (laughs) Because they make you mad, don't they? They're trying to steal your money. They're scammers. We don't obviously submit to what they're wanting. We do not talk to them in a way that Jesus wouldn't. Because they may even be our enemies, then we have to love them and pray for them if they're trying to persecute us. Let me assure you, we are not standing on the truth of God's word if we don't speak God's truth in love. Without the love, it's not God's word. Let's just put it that way. Without the love, it's not God's word. John says that Jesus is the word, and the word is light in the darkness. We do the gospel a disservice if we try to spread light with a little dose of darkness in there that can come sometimes from a bit of meanness and discourtesy and selfishness or bias or rejection of others. If you preach God's word without love, it's not God's word. Holy and fruitful people are filled with love for Jesus and love for people. And if we don't have it, we go to Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit, change us. Change me today. Hey, if that's you today, come and see one of our prayer team after the service. In fact, it's all of us. Let's be honest. It's all of us. God, Holy Spirit, change us to be more like you. Point number three is from the same passage. Holy and fruitful people live with an expectation of Christ's return and the hope of eternity. It comes straight from verse 5. If you knew that Christ was going to turn, return, let's say at the end of August, okay? For some reason, we were given a date. I know the scriptures say there's no date. Don't hold that against me. I'm just saying, hypothetically, if we knew that Christ was coming at the end of August, what would you do? How would you live your life? How would you sing in church on a Sunday mornings in our time of, time of worship? What would you say to those you know who aren't yet saved? How would you spend your money and your time? What would you say to your husband and wife and kids? What would you do about that relationship that's, you know, it's tense and it's fractured? What would you do with it? How would you pray? I mean, no guilt when I say this next one, but what would the Wednesday night prayer meeting look like? And would the church be overflowing every Sunday leading up to when he comes back? I think you know the answer to a lot of those questions. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm trying to light the fire in us that comes from the word today. Holy and fruitful people live with that expectation of Christ's imminent return. If you're skeptical that Christ could return in your lifetime... I remind you, he's come before. Jesus has already come once. Did everything the prophecy said that would happen? Lived, died, rose again, and promised he's coming back again. So you got the confidence that he's going to do it again. Yeah, and we should be living like that. With that expectation every single day. We live in confidence and expectation that whatever happens on earth, our eternity is assured. 
And that should also fill us with a beautiful gift of hope. With that assurance, life takes on a whole new meaning. If you're feeling down, remember what Christ has done for you and what he has promised to do. And it fills your heart with hope. Verse 6. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere. It's changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Point number four is holy and fruitful people are passionate about the gospel and are motivated by the fruit it brings. This is what I love about the early church in the New Testament. You know, there was all this stuff coming against it. They didn't really talk about it very much, but what, how they responded was, we're going to be passionate about the gospel and living for Jesus. They were about spreading the good news. The fruit of the gospel is changed lives. Starting with your own. If we can't see changed lives, we need to get back to the basics and be more passionate about the gospel of grace that we received when we first heard the good news. Now, I know I've said this before, but I believe God is calling us here at Hills to be more focused, to have a response, a more focused response to his call for all Christians to go into the world, into our world that's around us here and preach the gospel. The gospel just means good news, good news of Jesus. I don't say this to put guilt on you. I don't want you to feel like you're being condemned. I'm saying as a church, we not only have the collective responsibility to do this, but we have the collective gifts here right now and abilities for us to play our part in the Great Commission. Can I get an amen? It's good. I'm not asking you to go and meet strangers in the street and tell them about Jesus, although for some of you that's a good option, I'm just going to say. Some of you can do that. If you're interested, trained, and a gifted evangelist. For the majority of, majority of us, collectively, we're reaching out to our neighborhood through our ministries, through our compassion and service. We're praying and looking for opportunities. Remember, we, I've preached on that many times. We pray like Paul did. Lord, bring opportunities for me to talk about uh, the mysteries of your, um, of your goodness and, your, and, your, and what you've done for us. We're looking for those opportunities to share our faith and at the very least extend an invitation to something like Alpha. Everyone in this church has the ability to do that. Everybody. Because it's just an invitation to something. Now, two months ago in the series on signs and wonders, you all agreed with me out loud, by the way. So you're in this that we believe that the tangible presence of God in our ministries and services is powerful and effective and that signs and wonders in our midst as the Holy Spirit moves will open people to the truth of Jesus, just like Paul said in Romans 15. Do you remember agreeing to that? Five people did. <laughs> Church, the fruit is changed lives. Just like, remember young Josh here last week on the stage. Changed lives, just like we've had with the, the baptisms over the last 12 and 18 months. Changed lives. We are called to do this. We are called to do this. We do it together. If it's scary to you, we do it together. We do it together. Everyone plays their part. We use your gifts for God's kingdom. The fruit is changed lives. Verse 7. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker, 
I think he was the guy that obviously uh, probably brought the gospel into this area and planted this church. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. There it is. There it is again. Let me just, just grab this here and just slow down for a second. Yeah. All right. I just want you to, highlight, to see that verse 8. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So I just want to repeat that bit again. Love for others. See where it comes from? Given you by, from the Holy Spirit. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Still praying. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. Complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. That's the key verse for today. All the while, you will grow. Growing is important as you learn to know God better and better. You know, when we come to know Jesus, it is not just one step over the line. It is a continual lifelong uh, growth journey. We know God better and better and better. And there's things that we have to do to make that happen. We can't just sit back and do nothing. No, God, better and better. And the more you do that, the more fruit we start to see. So point five is holy and fruitful people seek to honor and please God with the way that they live. Followers of Jesus aren't satisfied with a life of compromise and conforming to the world. That doesn't honor and please God. As tempting as it can be. You know, sometimes we're looking for affirmation from the secular world. We want them to love us, don't we? Sometimes we're tempted to compromise to get that. I don't think it pleases and honors God. As is always the case, Paul reminds us that there is a way to evaluate how we honor and please God. The question everyone needs to ask themselves is simply this. Does my life produce every, was the key word, kind of good fruit? He mentioned in verse 10 there. Every kind. Not just one kind, every kind. The fruit of the Spirit is a good place to start. You know, that's a long list, but it's a great list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a good place to start. Does my life have that fruit? Does it show that fruit in it? Paul says every one of those should be evident to a life that pleases and honors the Lord. If you don't have all of those, then again, it's this repentance thing, isn't it? Go to God, earnestly ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you and change you. Now, by the way, if you are unsure if those fruits are evident in your life, I challenge you to do something very scary. And only do this if you can take it without getting defensive or upset. But find a person who loves you and that you love, who is emotionally healthy, is wise, and, and you know displays those kinds of fruit, and ask him this question. How do people receive me? How do people receive me? Are any of these fruit lacking in my life? And it just might be the hardest thing you ever do. But it very well might be the most important thing you ever do. 
do not ask your spouse because I don't want to be responsible for that breakup. <laughs> in fact, don't ask anyone in your family. It must be someone who is willing to be honest with you and those people are actually few and far between. But being honest is actually a form of love if you do it properly. But you'd have to be brave enough to ask someone, how do people receive me? Where am I missing in the area of fruit of the Spirit? Now, I also happen to think that every kind of fruit extends beyond the fruit of the Spirit. I think the fruit is also the difference we're making in this world for Jesus with our efforts and the way we live each day. Are we working diligently for Jesus and the gospel of grace? Because if we are, there's going to be fruit there. Are we working to bring justice and mercy into our community around us? Because if we are, there's going to be fruit there also. Are we being peacemakers? If we are, that fruit will be there. Are we committing to completely loving and submitting to our spouse, as the Bible tells us to? If we are, there's going to be fruit in your marriage. Are we setting the right example to our kids by passionately loving Jesus and the church? Because if we are, there will be fruit there. Maybe even to, for generations to come. Are we committed to Jesus' command to do the biblical principle of storehouse tithing and generous and joyful giving? Because if we are, there's going to be fruit. Both inside the church and in your life. Have we resisted the devil and the temptation? You know, that sin that keeps coming back to us and dogging us? Are we going to, if we resist that, there's going to be very healthy fruit there. Are we thinking only about things that are pure, noble, true, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, as it says in, I'm going to say Galatians. If those things get the attention of our eyes, ears, and mind, all those good things, there will be fruit. Have we said yes to God's will and the calling on our lives? If you say yes, you may end up in jail. But there will be fruit there. There will be fruit. Holy and fruitful people seek to please and honor God with the way they live. Verse 11, last paragraph. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Wow, who wants all of that? Power, endurance, patience. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people. Thank you, Lord, who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Amen. Hallelujah. Last point for today, and there's about 10 in that last paragraph, but I'm going to give you one. Holy and fruitful people are filled with joy and thanksgiving. Yes, thank you for proving that point correct. Was it Linda? Yes. <laughs> Joy and thanksgiving. I know sometimes it's hard <laughs> for that to flow out of us. We're joyful on the inside. Let's just say that. <laughs> Why? Because at great cost, Jesus rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. That's what that just said. And we are adopted into his family. And we share the inheritance that now belongs to us. That's reason to have joy and to be thankful. If you've ever committed to Jesus, you feel the joy and you feel the gratitude. 
if you haven't committed to Jesus, I'm just going to go with what Kerry was sharing earlier, then today is the day. Today is the day. If you've never committed to Jesus and we're speaking about him and you're hearing about what he has done on the cross through communion, there's three very short things that, you can, that can help you with this. We call it ABC. Admit your need for Jesus and what you have done. Believe in who he is and what he has done. Died on the cross, ready to forgive you. And commit your life to him. That's the C. A, B, C. You know, if you've never done that, or if you've strayed from the Lord and you want to come back to him, then today I'm going to invite you to commit. And I'm not going to embarrass you. We're just going to close our eyes now before I wrap up with the conclusion here. I'm going to pray a little prayer, and you can just pray it just quietly in your own heart after me. And then I want you to come and see me after the service. Let's pray together. Lord, you are speaking through us to us today. And we recognize who you are. Jesus. Son of God. Came to earth. Lived. Died. For us rose again and gave us new life. This morning, Lord, I put my faith in you. I believe in who you are. I say, Jesus, I need you. I am broken and sinful, and I need your forgiveness today. And I pray you'll do that for us. I pray you'll do that for me. Your word says you will. I'm going to believe it in faith. And so I commit my life to you all in. I repent of my old past and I go on a new life with you today. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in my heart right now. Amen. Those 14 verses are filled with lessons on how to be holy and fruitful. And there is a lot more in there. If you take some time to read it this week, I encourage you to do that. Read chapter one, get out a journal, make some notes. Remember, going after holy and fruitful living is the answer to a world that's getting darker. We need to be brighter. Sitting at home and yelling at the TV doesn't help. Okay? Let me finish by letting you in on an important point. All of these things are only possible if you connect with Jesus. You know the story in John 15. Jesus calls himself the vine and he tells us we are the branches and that we have to be connected to him for any of this to be us in our life. He is the vine. We are the branches. When we are connected, we will bear much fruit. It's in the word. Show me someone with an abundance of fruit and I will show you how connected they are to Jesus. All the heroes of the faith we preached about, they were committed to connecting with God. That was their secret. Connection. My prayer is that 
like the church in Colossae, we would be known as holy and fruitful people because of our deep and abiding love of Jesus. We live in this culture that's dismissed Jesus and is more and more pushing against him and Christianity. Paul is saying to us, live for Jesus even more, not less. Don't compromise. Don't get angry and withdraw. Instead, let the fire burn brighter. Go deeper. Love people more. Love Jesus more. Intentionally spread the gospel. Live with hope and expectation. Be filled with joy. Be filled with the Spirit. Yeah, you can clap. Do everything you can to firm up your connection to the Vine Church. If we all do that, imagine the visible, abundant fruit that will be all around us. If every single person here this morning commits to that, I'm going to commit to the Vine, I'm committing to Jesus. The connection will be strong. You know, the the nutrients, the good stuff that flows through the Vine, the Holy Spirit will flow through me. Let's stand together. God, we submit ourselves to you. Recognizing, Jesus, that you are here. You are here with us this morning and you're calling us to go deeper. And I just don't want to sing the words in the song, God, and then walk out the door and nothing changes. You're calling us deeper. So change us this morning, Lord Jesus. Change us. Meet with us here. Holy Spirit, move through our hearts God, where there be any wicked way in me, deal with it today. God, if you see any hardness in my heart, break it. Pound it into a soft heart and let your love flow through me today, God. Through all of us here, I pray, Lord Jesus. God, help us to love this world around us not the things that the world does, the people like you did. To truly love people, love people and accept them. And lastly, God, you said you were the light of the world and you live in us. And I pray, God, for a church that shines brightly. Let us just shine brightly, God. He said, people will know us because of our love for each other. I pray that it's just evident and the fruit is all around us. And God, I'm praying for abundant fruit in every ministry of this church, whether it be playgroup or or op shop or the cap ministry or the counseling service, all of them, God, the youth and the the seniors and the kids and, um, and the small groups, Lord Jesus. I pray for abundant fruit in all of those. Abundant fruit in the women's ministry, God, in the worship team. I pray this for this worship team standing up here behind me right now, Lord Jesus, that there would be abundant fruit right here on this stage. God, that your blessing will flow through Mark and through his team of people. People who love you, who love to worship, God. Move powerfully, Lord Jesus, this morning. Move powerfully, Holy Spirit. Be changing hearts. Be changing minds. Be changing lives. I believe you're going to do it again.
Thank you, God.